Thank you for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We are currently in the series, Is God? We hope it's a blessing to you. Perhaps that psalm describes how you feel today. You want to get to a place in your life where you sense God's delivering hand. You want that. And you want to get to a place in your life where you can taste the goodness of God and say that he is all that you want and all that you need, but it hasn't happened for you. Maybe you've seen it happen for other people, but it just hasn't happened for you, all of which causes you to question the fairness of God. Is God fair? I see him doing some of these other things for other people, but it's not happening for me yet. So is God fair? If you have a Bible or a device, I want you to find Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. In just a moment, I'm going to begin reading with verse 1. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 1. We're in week 3 of a series called Is God? And what we've been doing in this series is throwing some questions at God so that we can describe him a little bit. In week one of the series, we asked the question, is God good? In week two, we asked the question, is God listening? And if you didn't have the chance to hear any of those conversations, I would encourage you to go to our podcast at valleypointchurch.com and listen to those talks because I think you'll find them to be encouraging and helpful and challenging as well. Is God good? Is God listening? Today we're going to ask the question, is God fair? Is God fair? Normally when you think of fairness, you consider goodness. They're a part of the same conversation. If a person is good, then they're probably fair. If they're not a good person, then fairness likely is not part of their character and their DNA. So what about God? Is God fair? Well, I think that's a troubling question. It's a troubling question, and here's why I say that. It's because I want to say, yes, of course God is fair. Of course he is. God is good, which means he has to be fair. But when you do a deep dive into Scripture, and you really begin to investigate and study and search what you will find is that God actually is not fair. And so the technical answer to that question is no. No, God is not fair. Now, I know that's going to tip some of you over, especially those of you who thought all the answers to these questions are yes, right? Like, is God good? Yes, of course God is good. And is God listening? Yes, even when I don't feel that or even when I don't sense that, for me, I know God listens. Is God fair? Yes, of course God is fair. But reality tells us and scripture tells us that God actually is not fair. And this is a good thing for all of us. Let me explain. Think of it this way. If we all received what was fair or what was due to us, 
which that's how we basically define fairness, getting what you deserve. If we all got what we deserved, we would be separated from God forever because of our sin. See, we all have something in common. Scripture tells us that all have sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standard of perfection. Every single one of us, we share this in common. God is holy God is perfect, and we are not. So if we got what we deserved, we would be separated from God forever because of our sin. And if God is just, which that's another question we could actually throw at God in this series. The answer to that is yes, God is just. And because he is just, a payment for sin is required. Someone has to fix this. Well, we could take care of that on our own, and that would be called the merit system. The only problem with that is when it comes to sin and satisfying the righteous demands of a perfect God, no one is qualified to do that or to fulfill that role because we are indeed sinners. So the merit system in this format doesn't actually work. But we could attempt that. We could try the merit system, or God could take care of all of that for us, and that's called the grace system. So we could either try the merit system, which actually doesn't even work, or we could lean into the grace system. Now listen to this, because of the grace of God, because of the grace system, we get what we don't deserve. And that's not fair. But it's really good news for all of us. Am I making sense? All right, I hope so. And if not, hopefully we'll have a little more clarity as we move through this conversation today, thinking about the fairness of God. And he's actually not fair. And that's great news for everybody here. I want to share with you our walking path for today, just so you have a sense of where we're going as we tackle this. I'm going to share a big idea with you in just a moment. And then after the big idea, we're going to jump into our paragraph found in Matthew chapter 20. Out of that paragraph, I'm going to share with you some fun facts based on some things that Jesus shares there. And I think you'll find that to be interesting. And then I'll share some thinking points based on those words in Matthew chapter 20, and then I'll walk through some practical and helpful takeaways. So big idea, Matthew chapter 20, fun facts, some thinking points, and then takeaways for all of us, okay? That's where we're going. Oh, by the way, before I forget, you have in your program an FAQ sheet, and this is designed for you to put down a question that pertains to our series, And so if you have a question about the goodness of God or his listening ability or as we discussed today, his fairness, I would encourage you to write that question down related to those three areas, the goodness of God, the listening ability of God, and the fairness of God. Put down a question. You can leave that in the baskets as you leave. And then on May 21st, I'm going to do my best to answer your tough questions. So you're going to help me write the talk for the 21st. If you don't submit any questions, then I'm just going to go on and on about I don't know what. So help me out there, okay? Here's our big idea for today. God's grace is wonderful and better than fair. 
How about that? Get your talk notes out, and I would encourage you to fill in those blanks and to write some things down, because this really could be life-changing for us. God's grace is wonderful and so much better, so much better than fair. All right, if you have your Bible or your device, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, starts like this. For the kingdom of heaven is like. For the kingdom of heaven is like. Let's pause there for just a moment and set a little bit of context here, just so we know what's happening in Matthew chapter 20. These are the words of Jesus. He's having a conversation with a small group of people, and he starts that conversation by saying, This is like that. What we have here in Matthew chapter 20 is a parable of Jesus. And a parable is a comparison or an illustration of something that Jesus wanted to say. This word parable in the Greek means a placing beside or a comparison. And so whenever we see a parable or an illustration that Jesus is sharing, we can think of it as a comparison. It's truth cast alongside other truth in order to make sense of it. And that's what Jesus is beginning to share here. This is like that. And often the word like is found in these parables and in these comparisons. And Jesus often taught this way. He really did because it was effective and powerful and engaging and memorable. And so he really made great use of these comparisons, these parables. Just so that you can see this come to life, I want to share some other comparisons that Jesus gave in Scripture. One time he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Another time he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. So again, keep in mind, this is like that. That's a parable. That's a comparison. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer. The kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net. The kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner. Again, Jesus made great use of parables. This is like that. And that's what we find here in Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like... Well, like what? Well, before I share that with you, I want to give you some fun facts about parables. And this, again, is just helpful for us to know. It provides context. So consider this. More than 40 parables of Jesus, these comparisons, these stories, these illustrations, truth cast alongside other truth, are found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Approximately 35% of the teachings of Jesus are in this comparison form. Again, he just liked doing that. Now, it's interesting to note that there are no parables found in John's gospel. And my best explanation for that is John was written to a different type of crowd, and he knew his crowd, he knew what they needed to hear, and so parables were not a part of what he wrote. But again, we have over 40 different parables, these comparisons found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Secondly, Jesus taught in parables because they are interesting and compelling. They are a very effective way to teach. It's like storytelling. And Jesus, again, made great use of these kinds 
of comparisons. And then finally, Jesus' parables focused on God and his kingdom. They reveal what kind of God he is. A little bit of his character and a little bit of his makeup and DNA. And so we're in this series trying to discover the same kinds of things. And so it's great for us to look at this conversation that Jesus is sharing with a group of Galileans and he is presenting to them a comparison. So let's think through this again. The kingdom of heaven is like, all right, this is like that. Let's continue. Well, the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Such hiring in this culture was typically done during a harvest season. And Jesus was teaching and presenting this parable to a group of Galileans. They would have understood exactly what Jesus is saying here. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who would go out early in the morning to the marketplace to look for laborers to look for people to work in the fields or in the vineyards. Typically, that searching in the marketplace began at 6 a.m. in the morning. And farmers and landowners would go and they would begin to look for individuals and say, come on, I need you to work in my field today and I will pay you for that. So as Jesus presents this, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning To hire workers for his vineyard, everybody in the crowd, they get it. It's part of their culture. It's part of what happened there. They understand where this is going. Let's continue. Verse 2. He, the landowner, agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. Remember, the workday started at 6 a.m., So maybe these individuals didn't wake up to their iPhone alarm. Maybe they slept in a little bit or just didn't get picked. We're not exactly sure, but they're still around at 9 a.m. They haven't been hired yet. Verse 4, so he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon, and then again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. Verse 6, at 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. And he asked them, why haven't you been working today? Well, they replied, no one has hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. Now watch this. Here's where it gets interesting. That evening... He told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour. And yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. That's not fair, right? That's what they're communicating. Catch this, verse 13. He, the landowner, answered one of them, friend, 
I haven't been, here's our word, unfair. I haven't been unfair. The idea of that word there means I haven't been unjust. I haven't done wrong. I haven't offended anyone. That's not what I've done. He goes on to say, didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Now, what's very interesting about this is that ancients valued benevolence and generosity. It was a great value to them. And so as Jesus would have shared this comparison, this story, this illustration, they would have picked up on the fact these people are ungrateful. Uh, They're not being thankful for what has been given to them. And no, the landowner is not unfair. He can do what he wants with his money. They would have understood that, which I think brings us to the point after reading all of that, what does this mean for us? What does it mean, and how does this factor into the fairness of God? Well, let me share two thinking points. Number one, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard teaches us that not only our salvation, but also our entire Christian lives are to be lived on the basis of God's grace. So not just a little bit of our lives as we follow Christ, And as we respond to him and embrace his leadership and forgiveness, not just a little bit, but all of our lives are to be lived on the basis of God's grace, which again is a little bit unfair. Let me say that again. The parable of the laborers in the vineyard teaches us that not only our salvation, but also our entire Christian lives are to be lived on the basis of God's grace, which reminder, we don't deserve. We don't deserve. So listen, I want all eyes up here for just a moment. I think every single day, if we have responded to the grace of God and if we have trusted in Jesus alone to rescue us, I think every single day we should be overwhelmed with God's grace that is given to us because we don't deserve that. Every single day, just overwhelmed with what God has given to me. And I think sometimes we forget about how giving and how generous God is. We lose sight of that. Life takes over. Schedules take over. To-do lists take over. Families take over. And we forget about the gracious free hand of God. And so every day, we should just take a moment and be overwhelmed with the grace of God extended to us that we don't actually deserve, but yet he freely extends to us. I think we need to allow that to happen. This should overwhelm us. It should. Here's thinking point number two. The apparent unfairness of the landowner should not be troubling. And here's why. Grace is not fair. It is generous. All right, so... The apparent unfairness of the landowner should not not tip us over because grace actually is not fair. It's very generous. If we're honest with ourselves, 
which we should be. <laughs> After all, it's Sunday and we're in church, so we at least have to be honest with ourselves right here, right now. So if we're honest with ourselves, aren't we all 11th hour laborers? Aren't we all? None of us have loved God with all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our souls perfectly. None of us. I know I haven't. And yet that's what God asks of us. Love me with everything. And yet none of us have done that. None of us have probably loved our neighbors as ourselves which again is something that God requires and something he wants of us. None of us have done that perfectly. So aren't we all kind of 11th hour laborers? And the thinking point here is that God doesn't operate on the merit system, which we think he should do. God doesn't operate on the merit system. He operates out of grace, his free grace, And by the way, grace is not fair. It's not. It's generous. Paul, a New Testament writer, actually describes this so beautifully. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, I want to walk through this just to give you another side of the free gift of God's grace, which is so generous. Ephesians 2, 8 says, God saved you by his Grace, when you believed. So better than fair, better than fair is grace. And there's a trigger in that verse. It's when we believe. So it's not when we do certain things or stack up religious activity. The trigger for God's free gift of grace, which is not fair but generous, is when we believe. So have you believed? Have you believed? It goes on to say, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God, right? Salvation cannot be earned. It can't be. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. I think this verse absolutely explodes the concept of getting to the end of life and hoping that my good deeds and my good stuff outweighs the bad deeds and the bad stuff that I've done. And based on that, my reward will be heaven and my reward will be salvation. If you think that way, if that's your model, then you have to ask the question, well, how much good stuff do you actually have to do that outweighs the bad? How good is good enough? And I would posit to you, that question is irrelevant. It doesn't even matter. It's the wrong question because salvation is not a reward for the good things that we do. It's God's grace, grace, grace. So if you put all that together, here's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And here's what you can't do. You can't take credit for this. You don't get credit for gifts. And this is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Let me take you to the thief on the cross for just a moment. He certainly had an 11th hour moment. 
When he's hanging on a cross, he's being punished for crimes that he has committed. We don't get a great big list of the things that he had done, but we know he was a criminal and he was dying for his crimes. He was paying with his life. Probably not a great person. But yet what we discover is that in that 11th hour, he looks to Jesus and he believes. That's the language there that we find in the Gospels. He trusted in the person and in the work of Jesus, that he really was the Messiah. He was the promised one. And Jesus, in that moment, makes an astonishing statement. He says to that thief, today, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Shocking statement. Because the thief, that criminal, had no time to get down off the cross and to do right with his life. He had no time to do that. No time to get baptized. No time to experience communion. No time to engage in a church. No time to do really good stuff with his life. And yet Jesus declared, today you will be with me in paradise. If you spend any amount of time thinking about that, the only conclusion you come to is that's not fair. It's not fair. And yet that's the point of the story. God's grace is not fair. It is generous. And by the way, We don't get to define the grace of God. He defines it himself, and he says, it's not fair. It is very generous. That's the grace of God. Let me give you a couple of takeaways that I think will be encouraging to you. Number one, bask in the grace of God. That's what I want everybody to do today. This is so good. It's given to us. We don't deserve it. We get it, though. That's not fair, but that's good for us. And so would you give yourself a little bit of space today, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter how good it is or how bad it is, anywhere in the middle, would you just give yourself some space today to bask in the grace of God that he didn't push us to live by the merit system where we were required to pay for our sin, but he took care of that for us. And he extends us this thing that is not fair, but is very generous. Bask in that. By the way, if we're living in that, that really will change everything that happens to us. It changes our relationships and how we interact with people. If we're basking in the grace of God, we will be filled with love and joy, and patience, gentleness, kindness, generosity. I mean, that will just define us if we're basking in the grace of God. So if you're here, and you have trusted in the leadership that Jesus offers to you, and you've embraced his forgiveness, then I would encourage you today, Give that space to basking in the grace of God. That should cause all of us to really be thrilled and excited because God has done something for me that I could not take care of on my own. We should be really excited about that. Now, if you're here and you've never responded to the grace of God, maybe you're chasing the model of hoping that you get to the end of life and there's more good than bad and God will usher you in. 
Again, I want to say to you, it's not a great plan. And God has actually provided for us a way to have and enjoy his grace. The trigger is belief in the work of Christ on our behalf. And maybe today that's beginning to make sense for you and you want that kind of grace and that kind of relationship in your life. I'm going to give you the chance to respond to that today. So if you never have, boy, today is a day where you can open up that gift and enjoy it and bask in the grace of God. Secondly, this is for all of us now. Do not be troubled by the grace God extends to those we think may not deserve it. All right, we get really consumed with what other people are doing and what they get and what we don't get, right? All the time. We get up in everybody's business, don't we? Just free yourself from that. Let God be God. And whatever he gives or does or doesn't do over there, just let him do it. It's not my problem. It's not your problem. Don't we say this to our kids all of the time? Like, hey, why are you worried about your brother? Why are you worried about your sister? Just focus on yourself. But then we get all bent out of shape about what's happening with adults. And so we do this stuff all of the time. And I just want to give everybody permission here. Don't be troubled by the grace that God extends to the people you think may not deserve it. It's not your business. It's God's. And let him deal with that. Okay. Is God fair? No. He's actually not fair. And that's good news for all of us. Let me go back to the big idea, which says this. God's grace is wonderful. It's wonderful and better than fair. So much better than fair. Father, we come to you and we are really thankful for this comparison this story that Jesus shared so many years ago about a landowner who was calling people out to work in his fields and some people came early, some people came in the middle of the day, some people came really late and only put in a few hours, but yet he paid them all the same. God, we look at that story and would say, well, that's not fair. But yet Jesus shared that story with us so that we would get and understand that grace actually is not fair. It's generous all of the time. All of the time. And so, God, I pray today that you would help each and every one of us to bask in your grace. That we would just enjoy that. And if we're having a good day, God, it's going to get better because of your grace. And if we're having a really bad day or a bad week, it has the potential to get better because of God's grace, something given to us that we don't even deserve. So I want to thank you today for not being fair because if we got what we deserved, if we got what was fair, we would all be separated from you forever but yet through the grace system and through the trigger of belief and belief alone, you have given us a way to bask in your grace. Help us to do that. I'd like for you just to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. 
and for you just to take a few seconds here and talk to God about what he's whispering into your heart that you might need to do based on God's generosity and his grace. Maybe there's something very specific that God wants for you. Just talk to him about that. Maybe you're here and for the first time this gift of grace is making sense to you. And maybe you've been trying to do the religious thing and stack up stuff and good deeds and you're just hopeful that when the end comes for you there's a little more good than what there is bad. There's a better way and maybe that's making sense to you right now. And if you're ready to respond and believe, which is the trigger for God's free gift of grace, then I would just encourage you from your heart to God's ears, say this to him, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I fall short of your holiness and your perfection. God knows that about us, but he loves when we say that to him. So just tell him you know that you've messed up. You're not perfect. And then thank him for the gift of Jesus, the one who came and died in your place and rose again, conquering death, to initiate this gift of grace. Just thank him for the gift of Jesus. And then communicate that you believe in the work of Christ Alone, and you're reaching out for forgiveness, and you trust in his leadership. Tell God you want a fresh start. You want a great big dose of his grace. He understands that, he gets that, and he'll give that to you. Again, the trigger is belief. Don't try to add anything to that. Because there's nothing we can add. God did it all for us. That's a conversation you've had with God for the very first time. I want to say congratulations to you. I believe that's the greatest choice you'll ever make in life to respond to that free gift of grace. What an amazing thing. And you have someone who will never leave you and never forget about you. And that gift of grace is yours. Bask in it. Bask in it today. God, we've had a discussion about your fairness. And while we might want to say, yes, God is fair. Of course he is. What we discover is that you actually aren't fair. And that's good news for us. And so we grab that good news today We hang on to it, and we are thankful for it. God, for those of us who have trusted, help us to be overwhelmed with the grace of God again, and may that change our actions. God, for those of 
individuals in the room who've cried out to you for the very first time and responding to that grace and trusting in you alone, I pray that you'd give them an unforgettable day of basking and enjoying this gift, this grace that you have extended. Thank you for being unfair. It's great for all of us. Help us to continue thinking about this now as we respond to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.